But here's the problem. These virtues of the heart that Jesus describes are not virtues we as fallen creatures are even capable of demonstrating, at least not consistently. They must become ours by the power of God active in our life. You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou So it is Groundhog Day, so if my sermon seems a little long or I begin to repeat myself, no. <laughs> No. It's an, it's an axiom of the Bethel Bible series which we use here. And it's an axiom of good Bible reading. That what is implicit in the Old Testament is made explicit in the New. Or to say it another way, what is concealed in the Old Testament, that you have to sort of read between the lines, is revealed in the New Testament. So much of what we read in the Old Testament is not simply to be understood as a historical event or something to be interpreted morally, although we do those things as well, but it's also what is known as a type of what is going to be fulfilled ultimately in Christ, to be revealed in Him. Now, the word type means essentially like a foreshadowing, but it's not in literature. You look back at something that happened and God will do it again but more completely in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself teaches us to read the Old Testament in this way. In Luke 24, 27. When on the road to Emmaus story, which we always hear right after Easter, you have the disciples walking and Jesus begins to explain to them everything in the law and the prophets and the Psalms that pertains to him. So he's reading the law, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, the prophets, which is most of the rest of them, and the Psalms, saying, oh look, that's about me. And he explains it to them. And we're told that their hearts burn within them as he explains it to them. And then St. Paul makes this way of reading the Old Testament absolutely canonical. That means something we have to do for all Christians. In the New Testament, first in Romans. Romans 5, 12 through 14, he speaks of Adam as a type of Christ, a foreshadowing of Christ. Why? Because Adam is the first man, but he screws everything up. So Jesus comes along as the new and better man. From one man came sin and death. From the other come life and righteousness. So Jesus is really humanity as humanity was always meant to be. It's always a trick question for those of you who are in here in confirmation, in your final confirmation exam. Who's the first human being in the Bible? The answer is not Adam. It's Jesus. Jesus is humanity as we're meant to be. St. Paul also uses this way of interpreting the Old Testament in the book of Galatians in 4.21-31. to 31. 
He speaks of the children of Hagar and Sarah, that Hagar being Abraham's slave and Sarah being really the slave woman to his wife and Sarah being his wife. And Abraham has children through both of them. One of them is not, does not inherit Abraham's kingdom. He has rights in the kingdom. He's part of the household, but he's not an inheritor of it. But through Abraham's wife, Sarah, is born Isaac, who not only inherits all of Abraham's stuff, but he is born of a promise made from God to Abraham. And that St. Paul uses as a way of interpreting to us the difference between the Sinai Covenant... See, the covenant at Sinai, excuse me, the Sinai covenant, which is where we're made slaves under the law, still part of God's household, but it's a different kind of relationship than what we have in the new covenant through Jesus Christ, where we're born of a promise made by God through Jesus and have a completely different standing in his household. Now, when God gave the Sinai covenant, we all know the story. It's given from Mount Sinai. Okay, and Jesus, uh, God is speaking from the top of a mountain. But as we open our Bibles today, we see Jesus speaking from the top of a mountain again. God speaking from the top of a mountain, right through the words of Jesus. And Jesus begins this sermon on the mount, his most famous sermon, which fills three chapters of Scripture, not with commandments, but with blessings. Maybe to distinguish between the type of covenant God's making in that place. Now, in the Sinai covenant, commandments take center stage, right? I mean, in fact, it starts with the giving of the Ten Commandments, right? And blessings are not pronounced until Commandment 4 or 5, depending on how you count. Okay? And that's the commandment what? Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That's the first blessing given in the Ten Commandments. Up till then it's just do this, do this, do this, do this. Well, that goes on for a while. Even after the Ten Commandments are done, it goes on for four chapters. And when you get to chapter 24, after God giving a lot of commandments... Chapter 24, verse 3 says this, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now at this point, uh, young men from all the twelve tribes of Israel have been sacrificing oxen, and Moses takes the blood of the oxen and splashes it on the people in a ritual kind of way. And what this does is it's to confirm the promise they're making to God that they will keep God's rules, that they will keep God's word. And the covenant is that if they keep God's word, God will bless them. Of course, if they don't keep God's word, the symbol of the blood is that they're asking God to bloody them the same way they have bloodied the oxen. Of course, we know that they don't keep their word. In fact, that's pretty much the whole history of the Old Testament. So, as Jesus begins now to preach about the inbreaking kingdom of God, in this his most famous sermon, in this sermon, Jesus is going to accentuate and even make more restrictive some of those rules given at Sinai. But differently than the covenant at Sinai, instead of waiting to talk about a blessing, he begins by telling those who trust in him 
and so become part of the new covenant. The fulfillment of the covenant of Abraham and the new covenant in his blood instead of with an ox's blood. He's telling them not that they must keep the law in order to be blessed, but rather that they are blessed. And so now they can keep the law of God without fear. The, re the order gets reversed. And the list of Christ's blessings, this list that we read every year at, on All Saints Day, because it brings us such comfort and hope, that blessing is for those whom the world would commonly consider oppressed or unfortunate or even cursed. For this blessing is offered independent of external circumstance. I mean, let's look at who's blessed according to Jesus here. The poor in spirit. They're usually the first ones promoted at work, right? Those who mourn. The meek. We're told the meek will inherit the earth. J. Paul Getty, the famous oil magnate, said, well, they may inherit the earth, but they won't get the mineral rights. Jesus says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed. The merciful are blessed. The pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted because they've done the right thing. And even finally, turning from they are blessed, they are blessed, they are blessed, to you are blessed. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on his account. These things really are dispositions of the heart that, yes, show up in our behavior, but they're a focus of an orientation of our will. And these are the sole determining factor in the blessing. Not our behavior, not our obedience, but our faith. But here's the problem. These virtues of the heart that Jesus describes are not virtues we as fallen creatures are even capable of demonstrating, at least not consistently. They must become ours by the power of God active in our life. The power of the Holy Spirit given in a unique way to those who are trusting in Jesus Christ. Trusting these promises, these words of Him. For nobody's going to endure persecution or be reviled and have all kinds of things uttered against them falsely on account of someone in whom they do not believe. We, we are blessed in Jesus Christ to know that whatever our external circumstances, we have a relationship with God that begins with Him blessing us, not us seeking to earn a blessing from Him. So that when our external circumstances are not what we would wish, when the healing doesn't come or doesn't come in the way we hoped for, when war finds our generation, when friends turn on us, when we do the right thing and get punished for it, when we seek peace while others we even respect are seeking conflict and we get castigated even by our own friends for trying to make peace. 
when it just seems like life couldn't get any harder, it is these, the most precious promises of God, that assure us of our value in His eyes. Assure us that ours is the kingdom of heaven. That we shall be comforted. That we shall inherit the earth and be satisfied. Have that desire to see the right thing finally be done satisfied. That we shall receive mercy. See God. That we shall be called sons of God for we have been united with the one and only Son of God that ours is the kingdom of heaven. These kind of promises alone can strengthen us to keep living as children of God's kingdom when it would be so, so much easier to live as a son or daughter of this world. These promises assure us that better times, they are coming. And by His grace, in this life or in the world to come, we will be satisfied and filled and all righteousness will be done. And here's the thing about that world versus this world. That one's going to last forever. Comedian Mark Lowry, um, who most of us know through his song, Mary, Did You Know? You'll hear it around Christmas time. Um, he said his favorite verse in the Bible is, It came to pass. Because if it came to pass, it didn't come to stay. Whenever he's facing a challenge in this life, he remembers it came to pass. But the kingdom that is coming, the kingdom of God to which Jesus is calling us, and in which he is blessing us to receive through the Holy Spirit these virtues he lifts up for us today, that will last forever and ever. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Blessed Lord, we give you thanks and we give you praise for these wonderful words, words of hope, words that would seem crazy were it not for the triumphant resurrection of your Son which proved them true. Lord, grant us the grace and the faith to trust Him and to allow these virtues to be born in our heart. Humility of spirit, meekness, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, a desire to be merciful even when mercy is not shown to us, a purity in heart that sustains us in our mourning, and a knowledge that we are forever your children, united to your one and only Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the Sleeping, my presence, my life.